This morning, uh, you may be excited, you may not be. We're going to take a, a break in Judges. We're, we've got two weeks into Gideon, and we'll be doing three to 20 weeks on Gideon. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure, Ken, sure. But uh, we're going to take a pause, and we're going to spend this entire time going through an entire book, the book of Habakkuk. And immediately, you're probably thinking, why on earth are we going through Habakkuk? Because I don't want anyone that calls fellowship home to die and go to heaven and meet Habakkuk. And him look at you and go, what did you think about my book? And you go, what book? Or have nothing to talk about. I mean, you've got to have something to talk about. And he's going to want to talk about his book. So today, for only that reason, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to talk about Habakkuk. And it's kind of a partnership, uh, because you don't want to be here all day. There's something else going on later on. So we're not going to take all day to go through, verse by verse, all of Habakkuk, even though it's only three chapters. So the partnership is, throughout the week, I want you to do the growth guide and read through Habakkuk. And spend extra time looking and exploring all the things we talk about today and see how in-depth it goes and do some study on your own. Because uh, I don't think I want to be here for six hours either going through the entire book of Habakkuk. But if you want to get coffee later on, we can do that. So we're going to jump into Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is a minor prophet. And minor prophet means his book's shorter. He's not as long-winded as some of the other prophets. Uh, And Habakkuk is a prophet to Judah. During the time of King Josiah and around there before Uh, the Babylonians came and took them all captive and exiled them. And so uh, Habakkuk's alive during a time where Judah is giving in to uh, idol worship. They're drifting from God. They're becoming more and more wicked after Josiah dies. It just, he was, he's the last good, good one. And after that, it just unravels. And so he is getting the word from the Lord of what's going to come. And is having to deal with it. And what I love about Habakkuk and why I wanted to do this is because as I'm reading through it and processing this conversation between Habakkuk and God, I'm like, I have had some of those same conversations with God. And I, I seem to always be drawn to the, the people in the Bible that kind of respond to God like I do, like asking for something, just going, that doesn't make sense, to, you know, God who makes perfect sense? Yes. So we are going to jump in here and I just need you to hold on because three chapters, we're going to go all the way through and then come back. And you'll see what I mean by that. But we start with Habakkuk's complaint about the present. Habakkuk's looking around, seeing the state of Israel in Judah and just going, this ain't right. And so he says this, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. 
As Habakkuk looks around, he sees the idol worship. He sees people drifting away from God's plan, not taking care of the people they're supposed to be taking care of, not caring about the things they should, and not worshiping the one true God. And he's seeing that downward spiral, kind of what we're talking about with judges, which is why the decor is just chaotic and, and junk, because that's kind of the spiral that judges is. And, and, and Habakkuk sees the same thing in Judah. And so he cries out to God. And, and I love how he kind of phrases this. God, why aren't you listening? Do you see what's going on? It's getting bad here. Why, why aren't you rescuing us from this wickedness? Why do I have to see it? Why do I have to experience it? Do you see that justice is becoming perverted? Nobody's taking care of who they're supposed to. Why don't you do something about it? Why do I have to put up with this? And I think through my life, and I think through conversations I've had with God, and, and one of them in particular actually got me on the path to becoming a youth pastor. I was sitting in the back of a, a low Baptist church in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. I was on full-time staff with student mobilization, so I was working with college students at Henderson State. And Sunday nights, I would sit in the very back of that church, and this poor youth pastor... Has anyone ever been a youth pastor? Poor, poor youth pastors. Yes, up every Sunday night. Guys, we've got a lot of kids coming. We're, we're going into neighborhoods and, and bringing vanfuls here, and we need help. We just we need people to, to drive vans. We need people to sit there. We need small group leaders. We need help. We need help. And about the third week, I remember going, Lord, what are you doing? This guy needs help. Why doesn't anyone go help him? You should make these people get up and go help. And he's like, it's you. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't do youth. And uh, so I ended up afterwards going up and going, hey, listen, I don't like kids. <laughs> but I can smack them on the head if they're acting up. He's like, Sold. And as I went and ministered, I ended up having a huge heart for him and ended up being a youth pastor for 13 years. You know, sometimes we gripe at God. We're like, do you see this? What are you doing? And, and I just remember looking back thinking, wow, I was sitting on my high throne going, I can't believe these people. God, do you not see this? They are so, uh, oh my gosh. So Habakkuk isn't as bad as I was because he's probably not being as sinful as I was. But he sees it and he complains to God. He calls it out. Do you not see? Do you not hear? Why are you tolerating this wickedness? Do you not see how messed up things are? And the one thing I really, that stands out about this, besides it really reflects conversations I've had, is the fact that God's people Go to God with their complaints. They don't just complain. You know, he, he doesn't just complain about what's going on to everybody. I mean, do you ever get in one of those holy huddles and you just complain about everything and none of you are praying about it? You just want to gripe? If, if you pray about it and release it to God, then you don't have anything to gripe about because now it's on him. And at least Habakkuk goes to the source, the one who can do something about it, the one who can change the situation. 
And I do appreciate that because sometimes, don't we all, just kind of circle up and gripe? And we're griping at other people just like us. That can be part of the solution, but aren't the solution. And I think that's one thing we can take away from this beginning. So Habakkuk complains to God about the present. He looks around and says, I, you just need to do something. And in his grace, God responds. In this passage, I have seen for so long, and I just love it uh, until I understand it. He says, look at the nations. God responded to Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I mean, I love the power of that verse. I love thinking, yes, God is going to blow my mind. He is so amazing. He is so great. He's going to do something that I wouldn't even believe if he told me ahead of time. But then he tells Habakkuk ahead of time. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep through the whole earth to seize dwellings not of their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. You know, in that moment, I bet Habakkuk was wishing it had been quiet. Because I, I really think he was thinking, just break out revival among our people and just change it. That's what would blow my mind. Just do that. And yet, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan truly was unbelievable. Because he said, you know what I'm going to do? I've got this great plan. You won't believe if I've told you ahead of time, but I'm going to tell you ahead of time. And guess what? Habakkuk doesn't believe it. Because what he says is, these terrible people, your neighbors, they're going to rise up and they're going to come and judge you. The Babylonians are my tool, my instrument of judgment on Judah. I, am, I do see. I do realize I am aware and I hear you, and I'm doing something about it. I'm raising up these terrible people that are even worse than you to judge you. Well, Habakkuk, after complaining about the present, moves to complaining about the plan. You ever do that? It's like, no, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I know I prayed about that. And I, I see that you're answering, but that's, that's not quite the answer I wanted. And Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look on favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow, are swallowed up? Those more righteous than they. God, I, I was talking about how bad we are. They're worse. Do you not see that? You're the Holy One. We're your people. And yet you are, are raising up people that are worse than us to judge us? That doesn't make sense. And in essence, he's saying, that is unbelievable. I would not have believed that if you had told me. I don't believe you now that you have told me. And he goes on to talk to God and, and try to process this out all the rest of the, the chapter. 
And he starts the next chapter realizing that God's plan is often different than our plan. You know how many times I've prayed to God for something and it's gone differently than I expected and I've been upset about it till a while later after griping all those years of, or weeks, months, years of going, I mean, I would have done it this way. Do you ever have those conversations with God? God, I would have done it this way. And then you look back and go, I am so glad it was done your way because my way was terrible. My way would have ruined me, would have ruined someone else, would have just messed things up, cluttered it up. But God's way always is the right way. God's plan is often different than ours. I I came across this quote uh, in my class this semester, and it it just, it stopped me for about 10 minutes having to process it. Uh, And I'm not sure if I like it or not. And so you can evaluate it for yourself. Al Ross, Big Al as we call him, we we really don't call him Big Al, I just made that up, um, said this, holiness is the object for which God will sacrifice everything. Holiness is the object for which God will sacrifice everything. He will allow Babylon to come invade Judah, to exile his people, to destroy Jerusalem, to just make a mess of everything in order to get his people's attention, to get his people to come back to him, to worship the one true God instead of going to idols, to take care of his people as he's taking care of them, to get them to respond in faithfulness instead of disobedience. Holiness is the object for which God will sacrifice everything, even his son, on our behalf. You can decide if you like that quote or not. This, this part of the, the passage ends in chapter 2, verse 1, with Habakkuk saying, I will stand on my guard post, and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. He now takes a position of expectedly awaiting God's response, attentive to whatever he has to say, realizing that he has now complained about the plan, he's complained about the present, and he's probably going to get a response. And he understands that there may be some correction in God's response. He's saying, I'm open to it. I'm, I'm ready for it. Whatever your answer is, I'll receive. And God, again, in his grace, responds. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record this vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet to, for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. And the rest of chapter 2 goes on to talk about God dealing with the Babylonians. And in that section, there are five woes. And he makes it very clear, yes, I'm using them as my instrument of judgment on Judah. But your judgment will be temporary. My dealing with Babylon will be permanent. 
But he starts it out by saying, write this down. Inscribe it on tablets. I want to make sure you guys understand this. I want to make sure this gets to everyone. So when, I, when you write it down, make sure people run and take it to all of Judah. Let everybody know what is to come. Babylon is on their way. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But it will not be forever. You will endure. You will make it through. And I will deal with Babylon. And the truth is, God's punishment on evil will come. We see that in this passage. And it actually really buffers up Habakkuk in this situation. Tom Constable says, Having received the revelation that Yahweh would destroy Babylon, Habakkuk could understand that he was just he was just in using that wicked nation to discipline Israel. Babylon would not go free, but would perish for her sins. Israel's punishment, on the other hand, was only temporary. This insight led Habakkuk to write, write the prayer of praise that concludes the book. It is one of the most moving statements of faith and trust found in Scripture. And that is why I picked this book. That is why I wanted to do the whole book, because the, the prayer, uh, the commitment to praise the Lord in chapter 3 is something uh, that really spoke to me and was meaningful to me and really made me just pause and, and go, is, is this reality in my life? Is this a prayer I can pray confidently today? Is this a prayer I can confidently pray tomorrow and the next day? And I need to have a faith that can pray this prayer. And so all of chapter 3 is a prayer. And we're not going to go through all of it. We're going to go to the end. Because I just love the endings. Don't you guys like flipping to the end of a book to see how it concludes and not have to read the whole thing? Okay, but you have to read the whole thing this week because it's in your growth guide and we said we were in a partnership, right? Thank you. Amen. All right. In chapter 3, picking up in verse 16, Habakkuk, complaining about the present, then complaining about the plan. Hearing Babylon is the agent and instrument of judgment on Judah. And then hearing that God is going to deal with Babylon. His response is this. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress. For the people to arise who will invade us. Man, I've heard what you said, Lord. I've received it. I understand it. It has sunk down. It is unbelievable, but I am. Man, my voice keeps cracking. I coached 11 games this weekend, and apparently I really was not happy with the referees. Sorry. That's true. Uh, So Habakkuk has to wait for this, this ruin to come. This judgment to come. And he's fearful. He's trembling. He's quivering. The anticipation is very difficult. And then he pens these words. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. 
All the provisions gone. It's been swallowed up by the Babylonians. We have nothing. We're laid bare. We're vulnerable. We're desperate. We have nothing else. When judgment comes, it is bleak. In that situation, yet. If that happens, there's no blossoms. There's no fruit. There's no food. There's no cattle. There's nothing. When we are desperate, yet. I will exalt the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. And as I read those words of, even if this happens, even if calamity comes, even if chaos is present, even in that situation, as desperate and as hard and trying as it may be, I will, I will, regardless of circumstances, regardless of reality and and my present uh, situation, I will exalt and I will rejoice because the Lord God is my strength. If I have nothing else but God, he is Enough. And I started asking, what does it take to have that yet faith? What, what happens when it all comes down around us? That fear overtakes us, or whatever we're fearful of happens. What does it take to have that Yet faith. You guys can fill in the blank. If this, this, and this. Maybe there's stuff that you tremble, that that you quiver about. Things that you think about all the time that just keep you up at night. That is the one thing you worry about over and over. What if that happens? How do you have that yet faith? And it's all in this little book of three chapters. The way you have a yet faith is you remember the character and the works of God. You remember. Multiple times I've taught the the phrase, don't forget to remember, has has come up while I'm teaching. And and here's another one. And and I, I bring it up again because I forget. And we should not forget to remember God, his faithfulness, what he has done, who he is. And Habakkuk, throughout this book, even as he's complaining, is remembering the character of God, and he's remembering the works of God. He's remembering. He goes back to what he already knows. Regardless of the unknown future, of what it all will entail and what it all will hold, he is basing his rejoicing, and he is basing his exalting the Lord on who he knows God is. And in chapter 1, we already read it, but I'll read it again with that light. Are you not from everlasting? Like, you're the eternal one. Lord, my God, you're the holy one. We won't die. We are your people. We are are chosen by you. You've made promises to us. I I don't understand how this is going to work, but we know that you've made some commitments and you're faithful. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to judge. You are in control. We know this. 
Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. He's saying, hey, when I look at your character, this doesn't make sense. And I, I want to understand. I want to know what you're doing. That goes back to when he says, I'm standing waiting for an answer. He starts with the character of God. He goes, I, I know who you are. And then he goes on to the works of God. Lord, I've heard the report of you, and I fear, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is the start of the prayer, and this is the petition part where he's like, hey, God, man, get us through this quick and have mercy. I, I, we, I understand judgment's coming. We receive that, but could, could you just do your work quickly? And as as your wrath is being poured out, remember mercy. And he says, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And that's talking about the Exodus. He's remembering God's faithfulness when they were in captivity in Egypt, bringing them out, providing them all the way, or for, all, for them all the way, and then taking them into the promised land. He's remembering the mighty works and the faithfulness of God as he's looking at an unknown future that is coming. We take away from that. Though your situations may change, your God is unchanging. Your object of fear, whatever it may be, and it could be COVID, it could be Russia invading Ukraine, it could be inflation, it could be so many different things. Your object of fear may change, but your God, the, one, the object of our faith, is never changing. He is who he is. He has no reason to change. So no matter what your object of fear is, anchor yourself in the character and the works of God. And when you're fearful about the future, look back on God's faithfulness. I imagine we all have stories of where we have seen God faithfully working and molding and making us who he desires us to be. We see him showing up when we were in desperate situations. We see him taking us to places we would never believe we would ever be. And we celebrate him. We remember his faithfulness, and it steadies us in our faith. And that brings us to the central verse of the entire book. The righteous will live by his faith. When we are people who remember the character and the works of God, despite what the future is, despite the uncertainty, despite the fear, the trembling, the quivering, when we remember and are anchored in who God is and what he has done, we walk by faith. And this helped me so much, going through this book and seeing the ups and the downs, a future that was not one that he would have chosen, and him anchoring down in faith. Because he knows his God. He knows his God's character. And he remembers what God has done. And that's how the righteous will live by faith, right? Remembering who God is and what he has done. I don't know if you've been struggling lately. I don't know if fear has grappled you over the past few years here and there. I, I know it's, it's been a rocky ride. I don't know what you're facing in your life. 
I don't know what situation has you going, God, I don't know what you are doing here. There's so many things you can fill in your own blank that you just are going to God over and over going, I don't get it. I don't get why I'm not married. I don't get why I don't have children. I don't get why I lost my job. I don't get why my kids are straying. I don't get why uh, there's distance in my marriage. I don't get why I fill in the blank in those times. Anchor down. Walk by faith. Remembering who God is, his faithfulness, his character, his goodness. And go forward. Walk in that path with the Lord, knowing he is with you, he will see you through. No matter how bad it gets, no matter if there is no cattle in the stable, whether there is no buds on the trees, no food in the pantry, if all you have is God, hear me, he is more than enough. And our response is walking in faith, knowing that he is faithful. Some next steps to consider. First one is, I'll write down five times I have seen God's faithfulness clearly in my life. And I got to thinking about this, and there's a few stories when, when I'm talking with someone and we're, we're talking about God and him working on, in our lives and, and doing things um, that I share. And, and one of them has to do with our check trip. Uh, the first time, uh, and, and I consider these pillars in my faith, where I'm like, wow, that, that is a stone that says God was here and did something amazing and changed me. And the, one of them was the time we went to the Czech Republic, and it was the first time Ken didn't go with me. And I was a, a young youth pastor here, uh, and, and I, I did like kids. And we, we go over to the Czech Republic, and suddenly a guy who really wasn't teaching well uh, some, uh, actually, I have some students that were in my youth program there that can attest to this. You know, when I first started in youth ministry here, didn't really teach very well. Uh, kids, you know, falling asleep and going, ah, why is this guy talking? And you might be feeling the same way this morning. Uh, but and I go to the Czech Republic, and now i got to talk through a translator and teach seven nights in a row, as well as do an English class, lead a team of 12 or 14 in a foreign country. And... We're, we're just in this together, just in this room, right? Oh, and, you know, broadcast all over. I mean, I, I, two nights in a row, in my room, by myself, looking at what I was going to teach, just breaking down, going, God, I can't do it. I, this isn't me. I'm not smart enough. I, I'm, not, I'm not a good teacher. They're not going to like it. I, I don't really know how to teach this. I, I don't know how they're going to respond. And I, I just kept, I, I don't even know how I'm going to lead this team. I mean, most of these people have been here more times than me. And I just kept having this conversation with God. I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not. And then I shut my mouth. And as I'm sitting there crying and just going, God, I, I don't have anything. He said, hey, you're finally at the point I can work on you. Because as I was saying, I am not, I am not, he was whispering, I am, I am. And I will tell you, that week in the Czech Republic changed the way I teach, 
change the way I lead, change the way I view things, because I'm like, you know what? I get it. I get it. If you have nothing else but God, he is more than enough. And I have to go back over that over and over. And I remember one of those anchors, and I've got multiple more. Maybe your next step is to write one of those down. If you got five, write them all down. Share them with your home church. Share them with your family. Make sure people know about the faithfulness of God. Sorry, I got long-winded. Okay, the second one. I'll study God's faithfulness this week in my quiet times. Maybe, maybe it's a struggle right now. Maybe it's just really, really hard. And you're struggling to be faithful to the faithful one. And you just need some, a little extra buffering of studying God's faithfulness. Do that this week. And finally, if you're complaining to those around you and you're not really going to the, the father about the family, maybe spend the evenings before you go to bed, the last five minutes, just praising God for the day. Regardless of how the day went, just praise God for another day. Praise God that tomorrow's a new day and there's new mercies for it. And just build that muscle of praise in your life. Let's walk by faith this week. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are good. Thankful. Thank you for loving us, even when it's tough to love us. Thank you for seeing us through those times of discipline and taking us to new heights and new places with you places we would not have believed you were taking us, even if we were told. Amen.